audience and hi Timo Bernhardt. Thank you for coming back to staying at home. We last week we talked and recorded the first attempt for this episode, but unfortunately I messed the tech up and I'm super grateful that we get to do this again. How are you doing? Um, yeah. So first of all, thank, thank you very much for re-inviting me. Uh, so uh, we have our sec second uh, uh, session our second uh, race if we say the the first one was a free practice so now we're gonna go into qualifying and <laughs> gonna 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 perform now um no i'm 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 fine so far i mean giving the the circumstances uh i'm sure like everybody feels but i'm healthy and i'm spending a lot of time with the family which is a good thing and uh for sure keep a lot of things still to do and uh, keeps me busy. For everyone that doesn't know who Timo Bernhardt is, he is one of the most impactful drivers of our age. He not only has beaten Le Mans, correct me if I'm wrong, three times as an overall winner? Uh, no, in fact, uh, two times overall, but uh, one time class win and the class win I'm quite proud of because it was my very first attempt in Le Mans. So uh, that's why three victories is, is correct. <laughs> Awesome. There you go. And yeah, now this gentleman not only has won Le Mans, he also has beaten the Nürburgring track record, which we will be spending some time talk about later. And with a young age of 38, you retired. How does someone retire at that age? And are you now just sitting at home, staying at home? Or what does your life look like right now? Uh, no, for sure. Um Motorsport still has a pretty big impact uh, in my life, and it's uh, it's something which I could could not stop. It's just really part of my life because uh, even as a young boy, I went to races uh, to watch my father driving. I was very very small, could just walk. So, um, and and so over the years, um, yeah, I had uh, just a wonderful wonderful time uh, bu building up like trying to take each each letter at a time, each step at a time and had a wonderful 20 years as a Porsche factory driver with, in the end, I had the feeling that uh, I have accomplished all the goals I had. I mean, there was a small goal left, to be honest, was uh, winning the 24 hours, 24 hours of Spa overall, which in fact we tried uh, the last two times with my year, with my, with my own team with a Porsche support and uh, uh, yeah, for whatever reason it didn't, didn't work out. I mean, you also need a little bit of luck with it, but uh, yeah, I came to, to the conclusion that uh, it was time for the next step. Uh, just having felt that uh, having accomplished, having accomplished all the big, the big goals. And uh, so now my, my life is not without motorsport, not at all. I have basically two main jobs, which is uh, first of all, being still linked very much to the brand Porsche. Um, being uh, one of very few Porsche brand ambassadors, where, which I'm very, very proud of. Uh, it was one, was a dream job for me, like after, after uh, stopping the active career. And the second main job is running my own team, Chris uh, Team 75 Bernhardt, uh, where we have uh, cars in ADSC GT Masters in GT4 Germany, uh, Porsche Sports Cup Germany, um, the DMV uh, uh, GT Challenge. Um, so, and also a go-kart team. So we have ma many different tasks. Uh, so this team is, uh, with 10 fully employed people. So it's, it's building up and that's, uh, is a task of mine to, to make this, uh, to, to build this team up step by step. And, um, also, yeah, try to be yeah successful and, and also helping like young drivers coming up. So these are the two main jobs I have. And then 
on the side for sure. We'll do a little bit of driving myself with rallies or maybe one or the other smaller event just uh, for myself, but it's more like driving, enjoying uh, for pleasure and um, yeah, just, just for myself, just to, to, because I enjoy so much driving cars, uh, on the limit. <laughs> Retiring sounds really, really busy. Well, yes, I, 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 <laughs> I said to my family that after, uh, after the LMP1 program stopped in, in, in 2017, uh, I said, yes, uh, now we'll have more time at home and it will be more relaxed. And I think it was the opposite. I think I was busier than ever in 2018, especially but also last year. Um, so I cannot make the same promise <laughs> again. Um, it's just different because, uh, like during the LMP one times I had one, I had one goal, I had one, one, one program and I was just completely linked to that and completely, um, how can I say sucked in and, and, and always had my head around this, these things and trying to be better, trying to improve. Uh, and now it's just like a little bit different. Uh, it's it's more jobs and it's a, it's a bit yeah project here and there so you have to really fine tune your time that you're also efficient and you, that you're not you know getting lost with all the different uh, puzzles um, so it's it's definitely different also this the business side of it so I learned a lot over the last well yeah seven eight years where we build up the team so I see the motorsport from the other side as well not just from the cockpit view also from like yeah, running the business, uh, employing people, um, yeah, de dealing with the people, uh, motivating them, or try to you know if something doesn't work out, like also to change the arrangement. So it's uh, makes me more. Uh, I think for sure I, I grew, grew yeah more more of a grown up. It's hard. To, yeah, it's maybe maybe wrong to say, but it's it's not just only me myself and the car and maybe you know the mechanics around. It's just a bigger view of motorsport, which. I enjoy a lot, but it's also more complex than, than, than I thought, uh, when I, when I look back at the age of 18, when I, when I signed as a Porsche junior. <laughs> yeah. You said earlier that you were looking forward to become a Porsche brand ambassador for quite some time. And that this is after being an LMP1 driver, a dream job. What does a Porsche brand ambassador do or what the question connected to, to that is, uh, what does Porsche mean for you? Uh, first of all, I mean, being a Porsche factory driver or like a professional racing driver, that's the dream job number one. It's for me, that's no doubt about it, but you also have to see, you know, like you always have like a prime time where everything meets together, like the speed, the focus, also the, the amount of risk you want to take as a driver. Yeah. Also the concentration and also, yeah, just everything comes together, like the experience. And there's like a, a prime time, I think for every driver, it's hard to, you know, to, to put like a, an age tag on it. But for me, it was certainly in the thirties where I felt like, uh, yeah, especially yeah, really in the prime time of the uh, LMP1 era where, where I felt like I was really on top of my own personal uh, performance. Um, and that's where you, you know, and then when you, when you feel that, I don't say that this goes away, but for sure, everybody changes over time a little bit. And then I always wanted to be, you know, remembered or, you know, like being, being on top of things and, and not just being around for the name. So that's why I say that number one is uh, <laughs> being an active racing driver. But if you have, uh, if, if you, if you move things, if you change, if you do the next step, then uh, the Porsche brand ambassador was really a dream job for me. And here a role model is definitely Walter Earl because he started this ambassador role, which I'm, I'm slipping in now or which I'm, 
you know, uh, starting. He, I think it was in 1993 when he joined Porsche in this role, and he really yeah put put his uh, put his mark in in, in this. Uh, in, in this role. So when I looking, look, when I look at him, that's, uh, when, because yeah, I met him many times at these kind of events and when he was presenting cars or, you know, showing, introducing the cars to journalists, or just, you know, like help, help, uh, also with one or two hints, uh, to the development of the car. So it's just, it's just a multiple role. And when I look how he, he dealt with these things, it was, uh, it became more and more clear that this is something at one stage, it, it's very interesting for me to do. And now I'm in this role, just, you know, like growing in, growing into it. Um, and it's uh, really what, what made it so attractive for me to do, to do that step as well. Yeah. Let's circle back to, to your times as, uh, as active race driver. What is the advice you wish you knew the experience you wish you had before you started to focusing on your professional racing career? Um, uh, looking back now, I think with the resources we had early on, we couldn't have done it much better, to be honest. I think that was really, really close to the optimum. Uh, I mean, with the resources, I mean, like the fundings uh, we had from the family. I mean, it's it's always the hardest part in motorsport because you always have to, you need a little bit of a start st startup money, <laughs> almost like a company. You need somebody to, to help boosting it. And uh, yeah, we had it, I mean, us was mainly from the, from our own family. And since my father was very, or still is very, um, uh, a very good technician, uh, very talented uh, at building cars or even just, uh, yeah, maintaining and, and, and uh, running the cars on track. So that, that was my major help in, in order to become a professional racing driver. So I think with these resources, um, yeah, coming back to this, we could have not done it much, much better. Um, but I think in the, the beginning, for sure, you're, you're a bit naive as, as well. I mean, when, uh, when you're a teenager, uh, I always knew for whatever reason that, uh, this is going to work out. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be a racing driver and whatever racing's here. I don't know. Or, you know, but you're a little bit naive because I knew it's going to happen, but I didn't know the path. And I didn't know also when there was like, some setbacks. I was not giving up. I was like, okay, yes, you know, it's th this trust and this positive energy. And that's what you need. You know, if you have doubts early on, like, am I good enough? Or oh, what's going to, you know, what's going to happen next, then you're never going to make it. And I had this, I think early on, I think this, this nice, this nice mixture of, uh, yeah, okay, it's going to work out. And even if you look in your formula four days, when you look from race to race and you know, okay, if, if you bend two wheels. <laughs> I mean, we can maybe replace one because we have, a uh, uh, we have money for that. But if you, you know, if you, if you knock off two corners in an accident, you know, pff, I was not sure if we can go, if you can come back and, and finish the season. So if this comes, uh, you know, if this affects you heavily, then you know, it's the wrong job. And then you know, that it's not going to work out. So I think this, this was positive on one side, but on the, on the other side, for sure, if you had more, from the outside, if you had really like more professional help, like f maybe from, from a former professional racing driver or just, you know, have a, if I had a, a little bit more connections, you know, then we could have sp sped up things or maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe work, things could have worked out differently. But I think I'm very, very happy with uh, how things worked. So I don't, don't want to complain. <laughs> Yeah. What is interesting to see is that basically you and maybe the generation 
after you, let's say people like Nikki Team, for instance, that when you all started, there was no such thing as social media and probably not as many racing consultants, racing schools. Do you think in today's service-oriented environment, it is easier to become a good racing driver or is it the quality of the human being and the personal skills what makes a makes a great racing driver? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think with with uh, starting up with the lack of this information from outside, uh, whether on the business side nor on the um, uh, or really the driving technique and you know you have to train and, and food and these things side of it. Um, I think I had to accustom more myself and maybe deal with the things more myself. And in the end, I think the result is that I learned more just from, yeah, just, just thinking about things, looking, I was very much focusing on, on drivers, which I admired. I think that helped, that helped a lot that I was reading books and from all, all sorts of racing drivers, uh, like from Hans Hermann, you know, like the <laughs> completely different generation than myself, like uh, running in the 50s in the Silver Arrows uh, in Formula One and you know, from Stefan Bellov, one of the, my idols, or from Walter Röhrl. So I was just trying to self-learn a lot as much as possible. Yep. Um, and especially, I think, in, in driving technique, it helped me a lot because I was watching a lot on track. I mean, go-karts or Formula Ford, Formula Renault, uh, Porsche Curra Cups. I was, and this was also the time before data recording, or just data recording just really started in a few championships. Um, and uh, just at the end of my karting time, we, we started a bit with data recording, but in, in Formula Racing, in the beginning, I didn't have, and in Curra Cup as well. So it was a little bit old school, like really watching from, from, from the outside. And I think if you compare to Nikki, he's a bit bit younger than me, but it's also this kind of, um, I think it's also this kind of mentality to, to start. I think with a lack of uh, possibilities, you also try, yeah, try to get the same goal out of it. And maybe you, you're a bit more forced to do it by yourself, which in the end takes longer, but maybe for your personality and for your own knowledge, it's, it's, no, it's no harm, I think. What do you think makes a good racing driver? Um, it's, def it's, it's several things. I think, yes, speed is a, is a big component, but at a, at a certain level, everybody is quick and everybody has the speed. So I just take that as a given because if you don't have the speed, you know, you, you never come to a certain, certain level. It's <laughs> so, so give, giving that, given that everybody has, you know, certain kind of speed or enough speed to be there. Um, the higher you come, you need like qualities, um, definitely to be, I think positive. This sounds very, this sounds very general now, but I think you need to have this positive energy that, uh, you know, things will work out and that you're not getting frustrated very quickly because motorsport is complex. Yeah. And if you're getting always uh, upset by, you know, somebody blocking you in free practice where it doesn't count, you know, that's. It, that that doesn't help or if you you know i don't know uh just in a bad mood all the time this, this doesn't help either so i think this you need like positive energy you need uh teamwork i think is very underrated but to help uh to to that the team feels that you're pulling the same side and you also need to have an ability to pull the team around you like they they feel that you can trust they can trust you like on development of the cars that you get also these 
you know, major tests that that's important, I think. And then for sure, um, a bit of, uh, I mean, everybody, yeah, also, yeah, has to look for, for, for himself that you have to need to have this, um, to be tough in, in a way, um, uh, like, uh, yeah, as, I don't know if things turn out to be not working at the time that you, that you still go through this, uh, go through this time and, 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 and not give up. I think this, you know, in, in a way you have to be tough. And I think what, what's also not, maybe not on the radar so much, like the mental capacity is like driving. And you see that a lot of time when you drive, you know, driving a race car on the limit. And then you hear like people speak on the radio, you see who, who is completely, uh, on the limit and, you know, and who is like, who is still capacity, like continue driving on the limit yeah. in, in, in certain ways and still be able to speak and communicate and maybe do other things. So I think the, 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 re, the, the top, top level guys, you see, I think they have also this kind of extra capacity, um, to deal with things on the side. And that's such a beautiful anecdote, anecdote translating to our time right now in, in April of 2020 that, you know, my takeaway from what you just said is that when you stay focused and you stay positive and you don't let outside influences get to you emotionally so much that you actually can achieve much more and can tackle way bigger challenges to switch gears up a little bit i would like to talk with you about my favorite race car or one of many favorite race cars <laughs> the porsche 919 hybrid how was it for you to be part of that project and why was this car so important for porsche well there was a li lifetime a lifetime job i think something that i will always remember and always be stored in my memory for on, on the very, on the top shelf, probably <laughs> as on, on positive, on positive things. Um, it just, it was a great, uh, great call already to be, um, to be a part of this, of this uh, program. And from really A to Z, um, was, uh, together with Roma, Dumas, I have to say, who, uh, was the first one to be on the mock-up chassis and then really be starting from the beginning when there was just a handful of people, starting the program in 2011. So way ahead before we hit the, the road the first time. So like two years, almost two years ahead um, of time, starting from scratch um, and, and being involved in this program from the very first scratch, uh, uh, mock-up chassis, and et cetera, et cetera, until the last race lap uh, of Bahrain. I mean, this, I think very few drivers can say that they had this li lifetime program where they where they were connected to so very grateful of that and then if you look at the at the results we had in the end all we can say all the way through it's just just remarkable and it's also when i felt like there's nothing which can top that or even like come close come close to that and that was in my prime time so it's it's really there was um yeah the top the top of things um And I was really connected to this, to this program all the way throughout, um, with, with all the different layers and the different, uh, status we, we, we had. So, yeah, I mean, like, and it feels like everything I did before was kind of a warm up to be on, on top of things exactly when I needed to be in this, in this era, the way of, you know, like the speed, like the experience, also the experience and the majority, the majority, uh, of, um, car development. You know, like being yeah, also like uh, grown up enough for for you know being in, in a team player role, which was not hard for me. But also to you know, you're not sharing. You know, you're sharing the car. You're not alone by yourself in the car. So you need also to have this component because 
you can only your car can only be successful when everybody feels like at home when everybody feels uh, like trusted and and can can extract his abilities so there was always i always wanted to create on the car like this kind of atmosphere and if there were problems for sure you speak about it and you also at, at certain points you have to come to a compromise so to keep not to keep everybody happy but to keep everybody like feeling positive feeling being wanted here and being uh f feeling that they co that everybody contributes his bit his part for for making the car and the project success successful and i think that it was also a good key why why the team and 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 was was uh, performing so well um yeah so that's definitely i mean summing up i could could talk for another hour on, on that program Please because there do. were so many layers <laughs> and so many layers and so many emotions when we started and you know like and after 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 very you know being like uh you know, emotional or being like uh, pumped up and being positive. And then we had the first, uh, the first time with the, with the track, we had a lot of problems and issues, you know, and then when this first, I wouldn't say positive feeling, but when this, this, this first honeymoon was, was over and you were like, okay, this is, you're facing reality. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't work so quickly uh, as you thought. And, you know, you were seconds away from, from comparable lap times that, uh, that happened before that the competition was running. So it was just so many different layers and we still, you know, fighting back and, and, you know, yeah. And so in car development is a very, it's a very complex uh, area. And I always enjoyed that a lot, uh, to be honest, uh, to help contributing. And that's very, and even though the technology was or the, or the highest level you can imagine with all the hybrid technology and the, the, yeah, 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 the driver is under microscope, so you had to think twice what you say. It has to be accurate, otherwise you lose the trust from the engineers. But uh, even though you have this much technology and possibilities on the car, you still needed, or they still needed, the team still needed the the driver input. So that's what I really enjoyed. Uh, also, like uh, you know, the arguing sometimes on, on a positive way. Like when you, when they see something on the data, but okay, you feel something different and you still come to the conclu conclusion that the car actually is driven by a human being. So, <laughs> so listen to the driver. So, I mean, this is like to have these healthy conversations and, and also like fighting for a thing that you know is, 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 is right. And you're sure about it. Maybe it's not hundred percent visible in, in the data. So this is, this takes also time and this takes trust and this takes, it's not a five minute job. It's, it's hard work, you know? It's actually where you lay the ground to yeah. all the success uh, that come that comes later, and it's not by one individual. It's uh, I don't want to sound let it sound like general or being you know like romantic. It's it's really like the, the job of every department, every every individual there to to fight for the for the same goal. And you know they were yeah sometimes we're not um, not agreeing, but you always come to cons con to conclusion which uh, brought the program forward and that's what i admired uh, from from this time what was the goal once the program started and the decision was made hey we're gonna make a Le Mans prototype to compete against audi and toyota which you know have been at that time already at such a high level was it the goal that you show up as Porsche and completely dominate the class or was it, yeah, we, we try to have our fair, fair chance looking at also, you know, Audi's uh, win series they had for so many years? Well, Audi was, uh, Audi was the benchmark clearly, but also Toyota was, um, was, was very strong and they got, in, they, they got stronger and stronger because they also just started uh, two years earlier um, before we joined. 
but Audi was definitely the benchmark with all the Le Mans victories and they they had quite a run and quite an era and like a couple of years before I was I was running for Audi I was on loan uh, uh, from Porsche to Audi and to to support the Le Mans program and we won in 2010 <laughs> uh, the car was on so uh, I knew how the, the team worked and I knew how strong they are and I knew the mentality of Audi and so the goal back back then at Porsche was I mean was not spoken out to dominate not at all because we had a, a lot of respect of of the task uh, it was the 17th um, Le Mans victory that was the the big goal and that's why in all the departments um, and also in the workshop there were these every single Le Mans winning poster of Porsche was uh, on exhibition just to remember and to remind the team of the goal but also to remind uh, of uh, the responsibility we have because Porsche and Le Mans they go well together and it's it's a success story all the way through so we knew that uh, we have a lot of possibilities and all the support from 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 Porsche also inside the the company from from the from from the workers and from the employees but we also knew that we have a high responsibility because there was no option to fail and i mean with fail is like okay the car doesn't make you know doesn't make the start or just you know blows up all the time or whatever you know and it's not quick enough or whatever we so we just knew we have to we need to we need to make 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 this Le Mans victory hap happen you know and it was quite uh, i remember at the time like going to the first Le Mans i think there was maybe like two events where where, where I said I've, we felt the, the the pressure we felt like okay now we're on the on a microscope this was the first time we hit officially the track in 2014 Paul Ricard on the WC prologue and uh we had a test before a couple of days before also in Paul Ricard and we had a, uh, some few uh, technical issues and uh so for sure we were nervous and we've, we've, yeah we felt the pressure um, like now being uh, under under media um, surveillance yeah. <laughs> on the prologue, and we started the prologue, and we had uh, I think even we had the quickest time. I think it was Brendan Hartley in our car who did then in the end like on a qualifying did the quickest time of the prologue. I mean certainly on one of the days, and we had flawless, not a single problem, and everybody was really really impressed from outside, and we were like okay that was <laughs> that felt good, but for sure everybody was nervous <laughs> beforehand. And so it was a positive turnout. And the second time uh, I felt the, the, the pressure and I felt that the team felt the pressure was a uh, 2014, the first Le Mans, because it was, I mean, a crowd I never, I've never seen in, in Le Mans before it was like, I mean, we even had a hard time getting on time to the warm up on race day because it was like the, tr the all the roads were jammed. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was quite a challenge to be there on time. Um, and also, yeah, everybody wanted to see how Porsche does. So it was that that's and I think the team did a very positive approach. They didn't they try not to get carried away and they tried to focus on their own performance. And so we tried to 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 look at our own performance and not not we're not thinking on results. We're thinking on okay, now with the given circumstances with the car that is in this status right now, we try to get the best out of it and whatever happened, we learn from it and then you know we come back. And so this was the right approach and after after uh, I th i'd say a, a positive quality we were like uh it was changing weather conditions i was taking the race start in, in the car 20 in our car 
so different. Uh, I remember there was a, a big weather, uh, weather was changing and, and some cars crashed and different tire strategies. And we went on, on uh, inters and we didn't go on full wets. We went on inters and then we went on full wets after. And yeah, I was leading after I think one and a half hours. So, <laughs> so our car was, was leading. So after six, 16 years, uh, Porsche was leading in his first attempt back in, uh, in the big class. So it was... These are special moments which you can't, uh, which are, you know, you're happy to describe, but it's just like, that's very emotional. And it's like the positive memories mm -hmm. that, that you had for sure. The, the race, unfortunately, didn't end the way we wanted. We were fighting for victory. We were leading until, you know, two hours to go. Then we had a blown engine, but it was a, a positive, uh, still a drama race, but it was a positive comeback still for us. And, uh, and, and for, and, you know, and, and that's the, the media echo we received as well. And then the next time there was pressure for sure was in 2015 in Le Mans, but there the car was, uh, was, I mean, was on a completely different level. It was, we had the speed, we had the experience from the year before that, what we learned, what we learned about and were stronger and we had a double victory, you know, and then that's where we ticked the yeah. box of this, of this program and everything after was, a. Uh, a big plus. This is really fascinating to, you know, get an insight into this um, mysterious world of uh, LMP1 prototypes. Talking about Le Mans, how is it to blast down the long straight in Le Mans at the night, passing so many cars of multiple classes? As an audience member to me personally, it's always some... It looks very magical in a, in a, in a way. I think people that don't watch and follow racing, they might think this is weird but there's something really special about racing in the nighttime where everything slows down usually but you know these cars keep going faster when the air gets a little bit colder and you know the the field is uh, stretched further out from each other but i can imagine being in a car doing uh, north of 340 kilometers per hour um how how is is that for you like with so many different cars and not knowing if the car ahead of you sees that you are approaching with a tremendous faster speed than themselves how is that feeling i mean first of all le mans unique for that uh, it's uh yeah one of the last or probably the last racetrack which is a combination of a normal road and a closed racetrack and the, the large part is like an open normal standard road with all the the downsides as well, which means like the, the asphalt in some places is not completely flat. You know, you have some grooves from everyday trucks and trailers, which pass this, this road, uh, still the ACO does a very good job of and, and repaving from time to time, but it, there's a different element to it, which you don't have, uh, compared to the, to a close racetrack. Um, and, uh, so, so in some places it's even more tricky. Uh, driving at night is a is a unique thing. Um, I think driving on a daytime, you have. Uh, I, I can't speak for myself. I have different reference points on the way I drive, or which I refer to, like when when I you know push push the limit. And at night, you have this uh, this uh, vision part of it is is limited, so you need to have uh, need to change a bit your reference points. Um, yeah. In a simple way, maybe just to speak, maybe drive a bit more with a feeling, <laughs> maybe a bit more with your bottom and a bit more with other references yeah. you have or, or knowledge, which you, which you have from the day, but I'm always, uh, okay. The track is a bit quicker. Yes. Because it's cool attempt normally, and you can maybe run a softer tire and maybe there's a bit more grip then, but 
still, I mean, the limitations here from the night from a lack of vision is, is not, uh, is, is not trivial, but still I'm always, uh, um, surprised that we can run the same lap times uh, than during day or almost the same lap time. So that's, uh, that sees how, on, on what, what kind of level it is, um, driving like down, down the, down the long straight at that speed is not really the biggest challenge because these cars have a, a ton of downforce, um, which means like the cars really push down to the, on, on the floor and it's, it's like always planted. So, um, I would always almost say like nearly everybody can drive it because the car really goes straight, except on some places where you have these grooves for sure. The car will, you know, move, move a little bit at least these, these places you have to know, but, um, like all the, the braking zones, like these are the hard parts. Um, that's why I speak about reference points, like the, to, to hit the right braking marks, like the turning points. Uh, these are the hard parts and the challenging parts in the night. And also then the traffic, because, uh, like for the, when you're upcoming, when you are the upcoming traffic to like slower cars or GT cars, uh, for them, it's hard to see. And even though now with the, with the very bright lights, we're at the end, they don't know how far you yeah. are away. So for sure you see the GT car, but they, for them, it's hard to judge. So sometimes they, they, they think that you're a lot, you're a lot closer than you actually are. And then they miss the, the entry point of the chicanes because they think you're already launching on the inside. And so it's sometimes there are like tricky moments because of that. And always this constant, um, uh, this constant decisions like, okay, can I go for the gap or is it safe or is it, is it good? Or no, I have to stay behind. I mean, this is even harder than during night. So, um, in Le Mans with the, with the way the track is, uh, and the lack of reference points in some places, it's uh, very, very challenging. So at night, uh, like driving quick, yes, it's more difficult, but like being quick and being, being on, on the right side in, in, in traffic, this it's even more trickier. So, but that's a challenge all the yeah. way throughout. And, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, just even in daytime, accidents happen so quick uh one of the ones that uh struck me the most when i saw it was the 2011 crash uh, with alan mcnish and the ferraris uh, which you know before everything went down it looked like a standard uh lmp cars overtakes the uh gt car but yes. it ended so quick in such a massive impact and carbon fiber was basically flying everywhere and the alan got out well which yes. was the biggest surprise because it didn't look at all uh like that was there a moment for you in your racing career when you had a crash where you didn't know what was going on and the next thing you know you crawled out of or you walked away from a car that you know from the outside was absolutely destroyed and you yourself you know had a moment where you're like wow racing actually is that dangerous and uh, what went through your mind in, in that moment but you know that uh, when this uh, this crash with Alan in 2011 i was around there so because he just really this was yeah, yeah i was in the in, in the car one in the black audi just was just behind because we just had a change of lead i was this was 50 must have been 50 minutes into the race and i was leading at the time and then uh, he just passed me out of the um, the chicane because we had uh we didn't want to at that early stage of the race we didn't want to have a big fight so all the three audis yeah. were at the lead uh, at that moment and um and alan came a bit quicker the on, on the rear and uh so at the i missed at the entry point of the chicane so long story short he passed me at the at the exit of the first dunlop chicane and then going down the hill i was just behind him 
when he tried to, when he overtook the Ferrari and they collided. So it was just the next car, and I saw him going off to the left. And I knew at that speed, I didn't know, I didn't see the impact because I was right behind. But I, I knew that at this at this uh, at this angle, he was shooting off to the side. That it was very yeah, little chance. I mean, I knew that it was a big big hit. Well, it must have been a big big hit, and and all the and all the the carbon fiber stuff, you know, came flewing and at, at my windscreen, and uh, I still saw as I saw the parts flying over. Um, yeah, and that had so the next time around, we saw the car on the side. So yeah, I mean that was uh, that was quite huge. And then later in the race, um, it was uh, it was uh, my car with uh, Mike Rockefeller on the wheel, which had a big impact with uh, another GT Ferrari with another. GT car. I mean, the brand doesn't matter at that moment, but uh, it was another, another car, another GT car that uh, there was a big, big collision uh, or misunderstanding. And then, uh, yeah, so we had, uh, so our car was <laughs> was out of the race as, as well with a major, major, huge accident. And I'm very happy that, uh, or we're very lucky that both both of the drivers, certainly Alan in, in his crash and also then Mike in, in our car, uh, we're not, we're not major, we're not, we're not, um, yeah, majorly injured so that was quite a quite a i wouldn't say wake-up call but for sure you knew at the time that um these lmp ones back then they were i mean very very quick and this was pre-hybrid era but uh, they were having a lack of visibility as well compared to then the the lmp ones which followed so uh, this w- was one part of, of 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 the issues but also this uh, we were alerted that the, the speed differences between the the classes were quite big, so um, and this is on both ends. You cannot blame just one category or one side. It's really absolutely it's, yeah. a, it's a living together, and I and, and I never wanted to be because I started in GT, so I, <laughs> I did many Le Mans in GT class before. So uh, I'm not you know just running in the big factory LMP ones and you know like uh, always claim that we're on the right on the right side. It's not like that, but it's a happy living together on track and for sure there are misunderstandings where one or the other is uh, maybe more on the right or on the wrong side and you have to speak about it and you have to take it as an example but i think 2011 just remembered everybody and everybody was alerted that okay we um we, we need to take care of each other and uh we need to be yeah maybe change one or one or two things yes also shape of cars i think this was well addressed but also um but also on the behavior, behavior on track. And I think afterwards, for sure, I mean, it's Le Mans, it's, it's one of the last adventures and it is a dangerous, it has some danger in it. I don't want to say it's a dangerous race, that's wrong, but it has a certain kind of fascination and a certain kind of danger to it. It's one of the last adventures in motorsport. Um, but uh, also, also, I think uh, over the years, we, sh- we showed afterwards that the, the racing was very good and, the, and um, yeah, the behavior on track also, Got better, and I think it's 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 always been different classes, and it has to stay with it. It will not run with with just one class. That's that's not long distance racing, mm-hmm. but you need to make sure that you can work together. Uh, you can you can you can be you know like sharing the track, and, and still have your own your own race inside your class, and and still you know, let let everybody you know. Leave everybody enough space. I think that's uh, that's what's uh, what I think changed over the years. But there, there was twenty eleven were two two huge impacts, and we're very happy that nobody was major major injured. 
did these these crashes or the ones you were involved uh, personally ever slow you down or do you have a mechanism or this attitude that say well you know whatever happened uh, on to the next one well i had the just after in the beginning of 2012 uh i had uh we did the 12 hours of sebring and then monday after the race we did um prep work for the upcoming uh le mans um so there was always a tradition with audi and i happened to be in the in, in the endurance car when we started the the um the endurance run and uh was the first yeah the first one and uh on that day in, in, in the car and just at the end of a double stint, I had a technical failure and had a huge crash with a R18 at that time. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so I had a, a broken broken vertebrae, which yeah set me out for the almost the rest of the season. So it was out of the, the car for, for, half, for half a year um, with a big recovery and rehab and, and everything. So for sure, this is a, a setback or like a, like a pause, which... You use not always, not only to 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 come back or try, to, you know, to get in in shape again, but it also tr it also did something with me for sure. I mean, it's um, I think I, I restructured a bit the way I was training, the way I was, you know, handling things, the way I was, uh, you know, just 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 you know, being as a professional racing driver. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I grew up a bit more and a bit more mature and. But it also it also does change some some elements of you. I think you get a bit more uh, sensible or sensitive with when crashes happen because you know exactly how it feels. And before, with uh, at that time, I was thirty one, so you you're just starting your thirties where you have more and more experience and you're like your uh, how can I say the time where you're com completely okay? You, you just drive. Is these times are a bit over, so you you're getting more mature. And every time when when crashes happen, uh, I remember there was a huge one in 2014 in free practice with Loic Duval, yeah. and we saw the car, and I was just in the I was just inside the car, and we were just going out for quali run, and we saw the huge crash, and the track was red for half an hour, and I saw, I saw the car, and I saw the the helmet, you know, sticking out and the door was, 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 uh, left, you know, was, uh, was gone. And, uh, and I, and I, and I asked to get out of the car because anyway, we knew it's going to be red for a long time. And I went over to the Audi guys and spoke to Dr. Ulrich, just wanted to see how, how Loic is, you know, you're getting more uh, sensitive with these, with these kind of crashes. Uh, I think it doesn't slow you down inside the car and I still, you still, I think you still have this mentality that okay it can happen to everybody else not yourself even though you were hurt i think you still have this kind of element and it you cannot get it shouldn't you know shouldn't get get to you the way that it slows you down but like outside of the car i was a bit more sensitive to these kind of crashes so i went over and how he is you know wanted to hear like you know and then i heard he was for, you know, he was fine, but for sure was, uh, was shaken and he was taken to the hospital, but so far it's, it's okay. And this, this also relieved you a bit. So, and I went, went back in the car and, you know, and then Quali went on and, you know, you, you don't, you, you don't, you stop thinking it, you, you stop thinking of it once you're in the car and, you know, you do your job and you focus, but outside of it, it's, uh, it definitely changes you and, and also the way, um, you know, when one or the other driver comes, comes with, with, with a question and how, how you, how, how I deal at the time with, with my crash, you know, that, yeah. 
I think it's uh, just, and I was always happy to give an advice how it felt, how it felt for me or how it, you know, what, what steps I, or what measures I took and I'm sure it does something with you. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's such a personal, um, personal experience. And I'm sure things you learned from these experiences, as, at least as I'm concerned, made you even faster because uh, one does not just simply break the Nürburgring lap record in that manner if if you're yeah. scared of speed uh, rather <laughs> the opposite yeah. uh, from from what i can see i still get dizzy Thank watching you. the onboard uh, onboard from from that lap uh, on the <laughs> Nürburgring. it's i you know when you watch racing you you know you get an understanding how a lap should look like and then you open that uh, youtube clip um from you in the 919 evo which is basically the unrestricted ultimate form of the 919 hybrid. And it looks like you're watching a lap in fast forward mode. How, <laughs> how was it for you to, to be in the car doing this absolutely bonkers lap? No, thank you for saying that. I got a, a lot of ni nice compliments or recognitions uh, because of that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it felt ultra quick. It's, Almost, uh, yeah. How to how to describe? Um, just just the sheer speed, the sheer performance of this car, which is then even more accelerated by by the track I was on. I mean, if you do this, if you if you drive this kind of car in Bahrain, for example, with large runoffs and and yeah, different race reference points, it's uh, for sure the car will always be quick, and it will be a stunning lap time, and it will be a stunning memory. <laughs> um, but on this track, I think it even doubles every speed of, of every car <laughs> and the notch life it does because track is a lot smaller like the actually track width then you have basically no runoffs then you have a um, in the middle and you go through through the woods so or the the offside um situation highlights or, or accelerates the, the the speed so that it, it was very difficult um not to get carried away and uh, to lose focus or to get different or wrong reference points so there was the, the the true challenge to not uh to not get in a speed rush by by this sheer performance of the car yeah so i stuck to my plan but in the end uh yeah it was just a absolute crazy memory and it is a highlights or yeah how can i say it it's a highlight so it just tops every memory i had in in sheer driving pleasure or sheer driving performance of, of a car it's was just it was just stunning yeah to do and it was uh again it was not a for me it was not a five minute job just uh you know like unload the car and then off we go and then you know just quick do lap time and come back it was hard work uh, adapting the car uh the evo which was even quicker than uh The, the official 919 hybrid car we use for the WC championship was a lot quicker. So to adapt this car on this old school, so this high tech car on this old school racetrack to adapt this and uh, to do a proper run, which in the end we did. And I think this fascinated or just um, enjoyed the people enjoyed it uh, and still, still do. And watching this this car on this unique racetrack on this ultimate racetrack. Uh, so I think it's just a. Uh, Well, it was cr crazy in, in, in ways and in, in, in certain times. Um, and it took us like half a year to, with simulator sessions, with a small test we had with a couple of laps, with um, just uh, some, you know, tests and rollouts we did in Weissach to um, 
convert the car into this this Evo in, in certain steps. So it was just a it it took some time, um, but the result is just amazing, and also the the response the the echo we got. Looking at the clock, we're running out of time, but I want to squeeze in one last question about that uh, Nurburgring app, which. Um, for me personally was the most impressive fact that after 30 something 34 35 years it took a Porsche to beat another Porsche and to crack that time in a few words why is it so special for this unbreakable record of Stefan Beloff um, that that it was possible to break it again yeah the reason it took a, a Porsche to beat the Yeah, this, this lap record uh, from a Porsche was simply in back in 1983 when Stefan Belov um, was on pole for the for the 1,000 kilometers race of the Nürburgring. Uh, it was in a Porsche 956, which at the time was the sports car of the era, um, was winning Le Mans multiple times, the World Endurance Championship. And I think we can claim that uh, 35, 30, 30 to 35 years later, it was a 919 hybrid, which was uh, the sports car of its era, um, winning, having exactly the same, same kind of success and uh, fascination. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and between, between these times, no, no one ever tried with these, with these type of cars to tackle the Nordschleife. So, We thought at the end of the WC time or era, um, because we just stopped the, the 919 project in WC, we thought we have the resources and still a team intact and the car um, to, to, to try an attempt on the Nordschleife. And we took it with big respect. And I can certainly say that Stefan Bellow was one of my childhood heroes. Uh, unfortunately, I never met him. Uh, in person because I was uh, just four and a half years old uh, when he unfortunately died. But I read many books. I spoke with many of his friends or compatriots that uh, work with him in the time. And um, so I never wanted to compare myself and I would never do that. I don't want to tackle the Nordschleife Live in 956. Certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot get to a 611, that's for sure. Uh, and that's that's not the, the signal we wanted to, to set. We wanted to show mm -hmm. that we can um, we can competitively drive uh, the 919 hybrid or 919 Evro on this. So this ultra high tech uh, car, we can drive it on the ultimate track there is, which is the Nordschleifer, uh, on, on, a, on a good performance. And we could could show what this car is capable of doing. And I think we did that. And uh, with, with biggest respect of, of, of Stefan and his, and his record, he said uh, 35 years ago. And uh, I think the biggest compliment I got that day um, was driving home. I think it was, uh, 6 PM <laughs> in the evening, just before I hit home. Uh, I got a phone call from the father of Stefan Belov, which, uh, who, un yeah, unfortunately now he died last year. Uh, he was still alive and he was, uh, I think 90 or 91 years old back at the time. And he was, uh, still very, how can I say very agile and still very, uh, uh, how can I say, uh, big, big fan of motorsport, big fan of Porsche. And we had a quite a good relation and we, we phoned from time to time and he was following our WC races and cheering us on. But in fact, so in, th in that day I got a call from him and he said two things. He said, first of all, I'm very, very happy to hear your voice that everything went well and uh, that you're, that you're, yeah, you're, you're in one piece and everything's fine. And the second thing he said was, uh, Congrats on that lap time. And he, he just watched it and he said, uh, 
Stefan would be would be proud. And I said, well, well, I was close to tears. I said, well, I mean, to hear that from you. And I told him as well, from my side, I was never, uh, so the, the record of Stefan will, will live forever. And this fascination of his of his time and his, and his accomplishments and in no way I wanted to compare myself to him. And he said, no, no, it's, it's, that's, uh, no, that's very nice that I say that. And it's, for him, it's, it's, it's clear that this is, um, this is a big achievement we did and he wanted to really honor that. So I was, it was a very, it was a, like a five minute phone call, but uh, very emotional. And that was probably the biggest, the biggest compliment and the, bi the biggest knot we could, we could get, uh, on that day. Yeah. And I'm happy to, to speak about it. And yeah, that, 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 that's the kind of man his, uh, uh, his father was. And I think this shows how much of a family and, um, you know, a community racing and Porsche especially really is. Timo, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, for being there for me. If it was up to me, I would uh, totally be up for a challenge. 24 hours of podcast with Timo Bernhardt. <laughs> But uh, unfortunately, <laughs> at, at, as Walt's busiest retiree, you have other things on your schedule right now. And I hope... Maybe at some other point we get to continue this in another episode at another time. But thank you for these very personal impressions and, and insights on your racing career and on all of these very moments that we all shared in some way, but never, uh, at least me personally, never got to, uh, you know, get a look so close in, in all of these uh, projects of yours. And yeah, I, I one more time I have to say thank you, Timo, and I hope to, you're on the show one more time in, in the future and for you and your family and for your personal projects in the future. I wish you all the best. We all can't wait to see and hear more of you. So stay healthy and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, no, always, uh, always happy if I get an invitation and always again. So maybe in a couple of years we can, uh, or maybe yeah, we can do that again. And uh, maybe with a bit more insight, so maybe a bit fresh or new memories that we will, will have hopefully in the next coming years. So all the best, Simon. Thank you. And uh, yeah, all the best to everybody out there and enjoy, uh, enjoy uh, yeah, listening to us. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>